February 15th, downstairs, 6 p.m., senior potluck, Mexican. Everybody got it? And again, no IDs required. So I mean, <laughs> so basically, yeah, we <laughs> we're a little loose on the ages down there, but I guess I'm okay with that. So kind of a rules guy, but I'm all right with that, I guess. So we'll go with that uh, for the sake of fellowship as far as it goes. Um, we'll open up downstairs. Um, this is a little personal for me. We're going to open up in prayer. So uh, just, uh, you know, those of you that know me know that my son is really sick right now. You know, we've been pretty transparent as a family um, as far as what his sickness looks like. And the reason is, is that he does have some uh, several um, tumors in his head right now. And they're going to be starting radiation therapy on him on Monday. And so we're, we're taking the spiritual strategy of myself um, and the family, um, especially me, of uh, flooding heaven with prayers. You know, so this is not some secret thing that's going on in the background. Uh, we're reaching out to everybody anybody that uh, knows the Lord to pray and to lift those prayers up to heaven and uh, throw them at the feet of Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior. Um, we're healing for him, and uh, we're being aggressive and uh, optimistic in that. And, uh, you know, though it's sad, um, we're really lifting those prayers up. And uh, the Lord has been very faithful during this process already, and um, I'm fairly confident that he will just be a great testimony at the end of this. want to pray for Billy. We'll do that too. Uh, uh, Matt and Julie Whitmore sent that in a prayer for her brother today. And then we have elementary. Does anybody else want prayer needs today at elementary primary before we start the service? Anybody else? Got any illnesses going on or anything like that? What's that? Brenda is ill? Okay, so we'll lift her up too. Well, let's go ahead and start this service. Let's start in prayer and then we'll bring up uh, Jerry for worship. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, Savior, you're our Redeemer, you're our Healer, and uh, we just pray strongly and confidently to you in faith in this room for your healing, Lord God, your provision, your wisdom, your strength. We rely on you for all, and there's just these reminders of how fragile life is down here and how you hold it in your string, and uh, either can run away from you or run towards you. In this congregation, we choose to run towards you fully and aggressively into your womb, Lord Jesus. And I pray for my son, Billy. I pray for healing for him. I pray that you touch him, Lord God. Give him confidence. Give him strength. And we thank you and we praise you, A, that we get to pray to you and that we know you, and B, for already the works that you've done with him. We pray for Billy Bucatini, and that is uh, Julie Whitmore's brother. We pray for him also, Lord. We lift him up to you, Jesus, too. Pray that you touch him also, and Lord, let him know that you are there. Lord God, just rescue him and take care of him, Jesus. We pray for Brenda also, our sister. We love her, and we know you love her. And again, we just lift these things up to you, not in our control, Lord God. We pray to you, Lord Jesus, that you touch her also and hold her, Jesus, and make her feel better, Lord God. We thank you, we thank you and we praise you, Jesus. Again, for being our Lord and Savior, we this service today, Jesus. We pray for everybody here, Lord God, that your provision falls on them, that you fill their hearts, that you give them the confidence, you give them just massive faith, you put them on fire for you, you put a hedge of protection around them so that they, they just feel peace, they feel love, and when they leave these doors today, 
that they just go out and love others. They go out and love others where they're at. They touch them. And may they just recognize every conversation as an opportunity for ministry and that everything that they're doing, that we do for you, Lord. You are the way and the life, and Lord, and you just are the best. We love you, Jesus. And in your name, we pray this prayer. Amen. All right, Jerry, why don't you come on up and let's uh, turn this one off.
To feel the warmth of your embrace 
So anyway, uh, I'd like to uh, introduce again, Brother Dennis, who we love so much, and we thank him so much. Hey, come on up, Brother Dennis. And we're going to do a little oh, communion first to uh, celebrate our Lord and Savior, and then uh, we'll hear the word. Thank you, Brother Dennis. I'm, I'm fully loaded. Um, yeah, I think we missed one important thing. Uh, you guys can be seated if you'd like, and we're going to have uh, the ushers come forward and take the offering with you. And uh, while you do that, I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to share a little something with you here and there, but. Uh, Aubrey, go ahead and, and come. Girls, go ahead and come forward, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, pray after you take the offering, if that's all right. And I have my envelope right there, sweetie. If you want to take that off the pew, Aubrey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, it's a it's a joy to be here with you guys this morning. I'm proud of you. You guys all made it out. Of course. You had to drive down here by faith this morning because you're trusting that the weather's going to be this nice when you go home. And uh, the weather report suggests that it may not be. In fact, it, uh, if it's nice when you get home, it's because it comes slower than we're expecting. But thank you for your, your giving this morning. You know, I, um, I, uh, I have always believed in giving, and I have always been blessed I just want to share one quick story with you, and it's after you've given, so you can't say that I'm trying to twist your arm into giving. Uh, but uh, when I was a kid, I was 17 years old, and I was preparing to go to college, and I had $1,500 saved up to go to college. In those days, that was quite a chunk. That was 100 years ago. And, uh, and so I, I had $1,500 saved up, and they were doing a church, uh, a drive to pay off the church mortgage. And we had just about $15,000 yet to go on the church mortgage. And uh, I'll never forget the Lord spoke to my heart to give $1,000. And I gave $1,000, two-thirds of my college fund, uh, in the offering that day. And they paid that mortgage off that weekend. So we praise the Lord. We're thrilled to death. I graduated from college five years later. I'm slower than most. And uh, I graduated five years later, and I think I had $500 in debt. Uh, and that wasn't the Lord's fault. Um, yeah, I wasn't so wise with my money even back then. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the Lord does indeed bless us. And I'm not saying you should give everything you have. The Bible never suggests that. Um, he does tell you that everything you have belongs to him. And you have to remember that. So you just listen to him, and he guides your giving. And there's far more teaching that can go involved in that, but I just... From the church, I know we are so grateful for your, for your faithfulness, especially during this time without a pastor. Sometimes it's, it's easy to get distracted as a church and as people. And so thank you for, for, for your giving, and thank you to those who are giving online. We're grateful for that. Let's just have a word of prayer of thanks for, the, for the, your generosity and for the way the Lord handles that. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be a part of what you're doing. You bless us in our lives. and. And then you encourage us to turn around and bless others and to, to give to the church, Lord, which does so much in our lives and we're so blessed to be a part of. And so, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of the giving. And then we just pray, Lord, that you would use this offering, the money that was given this morning and whatever might come in online, Lord, to, 
to provide for the needs of the church, Lord. There are many needs, especially during this time without a pastor. Uh, so much to do, and uh, we just thank you and ask that you would just pour out of your spirit upon every situation, Lord. Guide, we pray, the board as they make these financial decisions going forward, and we just trust in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward and start um, passing out. This is the first Sunday of the month, and, and uh, I want to share with you as they're, as they're bringing. When you receive the elements, please just hold them there. Um, the cups, there's these little cup holders in the front of the pew. Just hold them there, put them in the pew there so you don't spill it if you're worried about that. Um, but, uh, you know, Paul, thank you. Paul, in his teaching on the Lord's Prayer, which is the, the communion that we're taking today, he was addressing the Corinthian church and he rebukes them for something. And basically, they were meeting together and they would eat together afterwards. And basically, every Sunday was a potluck. And they used that as their method of, of honoring the death of the Lord. And so they would have their juice or their wine and then they would have their food. Well, they had poor people in the church that came with nothing. And then they had rich people that came with a feast. And then they wouldn't sit around and wait for each other. They didn't do it together. They just kind of scarfed it down while the poor person was sitting over here starving to death. Didn't concern them that the poor person in the church was without. And so Paul says to them, he says, you know, um, do you have, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. He said, you're, you're disjointed. You're not in unity. And I got to thinking about this this morning. You know, it's interesting that we have our, our um, first Sunday fellowship downstairs, and we all eat together, and we just bring our own food, and we share it with each other. And I thought, I wonder if that doesn't come from this idea that Paul teaches where you guys need to share with each other. You guys need to pay attention to each other's needs. Because you know what? You can tell by looking at me, I starved to death all week long. And if it wasn't for the, the what do we call it, sandwich Sunday, uh, I have to eat my stuff. And so I, I come down here and I love sandwich Sunday, although usually I have to drive out of here and head for San Jose. You guys don't see me. I go downstairs and grab food on my way out the door. So, um, but uh, anyhow, I, but our communion together is meant to be something that we share equally. And I think that's probably why, one reason why we in the church have developed this pattern where everybody gets the same. Sometimes we, some churches can pass around a loaf of bread at certain times and, and each one takes us up. Nowadays we don't want germs, so we don't do that, but we have our own little pieces of bread here for you and, and everything. But Paul, in his teaching about the Lord's Supper, he, re, he says this, for I received the, from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the bread that we take is meant to be, to represent the body of our Lord. Well, what does that mean? It's, he's talking about his body being broken and torn apart and receiving the punishment for our sins. That's what he means. So when you take the bread, you're remembering that Jesus took your punishment on the cross. That's what the bread is about. So when you take the bread, remember, Jesus, he loves you so much 
that he took the stripes on his back. He took a, a crown of thorns crammed down onto his head. I don't even like hats on my head usually. I can't imagine a crown of thorns being forced down onto my skull. And then he took the spear in his side, the nails in his hands and his feet. That was all for you. So when we take the bread, remember that. Then it says, in the same way, he took the cup also after, cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The old covenant said, we've got 600 very strict guidelines, laws, that you have to obey. 300 and some of them you have to do, and 300 and some of them you can't do. That's what the law was. And Jesus says, I've got a new deal for you. You don't have to do all 600 plus of those laws. Okay? You still pay attention to the morality of God because the morality of God hasn't changed. But, but the, the law, Moses' law, is no longer something. That's why we don't guide ourselves strictly by the Mosaic um, food laws. Right? That's why you can have a hamburger. That's why you can have you know, sweet and sour pork down at the Chinese restaurant. Um, but, but, it, but what it is is the new covenant is... That's his story of salvation. That's how you get to be saved without having to obey all those laws. We obey all of his commands, but those, that obedience doesn't make us Christians. We obey them because we are. And we are because he sacrificed himself on the cross. So this new agreement, okay, it's like, it's like you, if you buy a house and you have all these things in the HOA, right, and you've got to do all these things. You signed on the dotted line. And then all of a sudden, the new president of the HOA comes along and says, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. You're in, and if you do those things or not, you're in. You're good. And it's like, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, right? Yeah, I don't have to mow my lawn every day if I don't want to or whatever. <laughs> that's not a real good example. But Jesus made a brand new agreement with you and me because of his death on the cross that said, if you repent of your sins and believe in me as your Savior, you're in. You don't have to do all these things in order to be in. You're good. You're all right. Now, you do those things because you love him, but not because if you don't do them, you're, gonna, you're out. So that's that. And then it goes on and says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now this is the last part, and I want to do this before we partake. It says, therefore, whoever, this is verse 27 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And verse 28, but a man must examine himself, and that's a man or a woman, it's talking about a person. He must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I want to take just a moment before we take of the communion. And I want us just to spend a moment searching our own hearts, not about what somebody may have done to you, but what something you may have done to somebody, or something you may have said or thought in your heart that you know is not right. Now's a good time to make that right to the Lord. You may have to go to the brother or sister later on to make it right with them. But before the Lord, make, let's just take a moment and say, Lord, search my heart. Is there something there? that I need to rectify, that I need to deal with. And I apologize, Lord, forgive me of my sins. So let's just take a moment in our silence and just go through that in our own minds.
Thank you, Lord. Take your bread in your hand, if you will. It says, When he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Take the cup with you. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord as we partake of the cup together. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful. You sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we might have eternal life. Thank you for that, Lord. Daily, I'm thankful because I don't deserve any kind of life, let alone eternal, joyous, wondrous, blessed life, which is what you promise us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to sacrifice your own body, your own blood on the cross. The Bible teaches us that your blood cleanses us from all sin. Because you shed your blood, we have life, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I would appreciate it. Bob, would you come up, and I, I want you to stand right here in the front. And I want us to pray for Bob and Bob's son, Billy. Um, turn around and face them, if you will. And uh, if I can have, you know what, anybody would like to, let's just come down here and let's uh, gather around Brother Bob. And uh, I know you're not the one that's, uh, that's struggling, but if it's all right with you, I'd like to anoint you with oil. The Bible says to, uh, to anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And uh, so we're going to anoint Bob and pray for his son, Billy. We're going to pray for Bob as well. Uh, I used to be able to say I can't imagine what he's going through, but I went through this a year ago. And it just rips your heart up to see your own kids going through something like this. So if you would, you're welcome to come around and just uh, reach out and touch Bob or touch someone who's touching Bob, and let's just pray for Bob and Billy this morning. Hallelujah, Father, we are so grateful for our brother Bob. What a blessing to this church that he is. I know he's a blessing to everyone that knows him, Lord. You have saved him. You have changed him. You have made him into a man of God, and we are grateful for the man of God that he is, Lord. Lord, we just lift him up now because he's hurting. Lord, his son has multiple tumors in his brain, and, and that's come from somewhere, dark spots here and there, Lord. And, and Lord, it's sometimes we're reminded that we practice medicine, but Lord, you don't practice. You know you are the great physician, the Bible says. You are, in the word, it says that by your stripes, Jesus, we are healed. And then in 1 Peter, it says, by your stripes, we were healed. 
And so, Lord, we pray for Billy this morning and ask you, Lord, that you would minister to him. First of all, minister your peace to him. Minister your comfort to him in his heart, Lord, as he lays there in the hospital bed. And then we ask you to grant your healing touch to his body, Lord. You are able. You could wipe this all out in a moment. Sometimes you did that in Scripture, Jesus, and then sometimes you, they were healed as they went. You, you, you choose the, the method. Maybe you'll use the doctor's. Or maybe you'll do it supernaturally, but we ask for your healing touch upon Billy. Give wisdom, Lord, and give your anointing, Lord, to the hands of the doctors that are going to work with him. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Bless you, Bob. The nice thing is you guys got to stand up for a minute because from here on out, you're all mine. I, I, was, I love the good news and bad news joke. Um, I have a joke to tell you about good news and bad news, but I can't tell it from the pulpit, so you'll have to ask me about that later. Um, but I have good news and bad news for you today. The good news is we have food downstairs. We have a, the sandwich Sunday. So whether you brought something or not, you are welcome. If you're in a hurry, slip out right after I'm done and go down there and grab something to eat and, uh, and head out. But if you can hang out with us and fellowship with us, uh, do so that as long as you, as long as you can. We, so that's the good news because you can be guaranteed that I won't be preaching long this morning because I'm hungry. There is bad news. Because of the weather that's happening in the Bay Area this afternoon, I have canceled my, uh, for the first time in eight years, we've canceled our, our Japanese service in San Jose. Some of you may not know I pastor a Japanese church in San Jose and um, with a, a Japanese pastor, uh, Pastor Cynthia. Um, Mitsue is her Japanese name. And I was very concerned. She lives about an hour from the church, and I live two and a half hours from the church. And I just, she's an older lady, and I was just not comfortable with her traveling. With the, they were warning people, stay off the roads unless you absolutely have to be, and I didn't want her to get caught in a, a flood somewhere or have a, a telephone pole drop on her hand. It's hard to imagine that that could be the case. We got winds blowing out here, but it's nothing supernatural, super awful. Um, so I canceled the service today, which means I've got all afternoon So there's a, on Saturdays I, I go down and I help out at a Japanese church in Sacramento and uh, I don't pastor there but I, I, um, I have pastored there. It's a Mennonite Brethren church and they're wonderful, beautiful Japanese folks there and I, have a, I got a, a friend of mine to come and, and, and pastor the church because at the time I was pastoring two churches. And, um, and running an organization, and I, I had promised that I would do it, which would mean I would be pastoring three churches and running the organization, international organization, and I just was dreading the idea because I didn't know how I could, could do it. Well, this gentleman came, um, and he's pastoring there now. He's a wonderful, wonderful pastor. Who, his wife is Japanese, and he lived years in Japan. And uh, 
So yesterday he was preaching, and something hit me. And I just wanted to share it with you guys today, if you don't mind. It has nothing to do with the message, but, but it really ministered to me what he said. And it's a passage in, and I'm just going to read it to you. I don't have it for the screen. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, it's a famous passage of Scripture that talks about how that we are saved not because of our works. In other words, and in fact, I think um, um, John mentioned this a couple Sundays ago. Uh, we are saved not because of the things that we do. And I just mentioned that when talking about communion. You can't do enough to, to earn your salvation. You ain't good enough for that. Sorry, if you, had, if you thought you were, I'm here to tell you, you're not. Okay? None of us are good enough to earn our own salvation. You can't work hard enough to clean the, the slate of all the sins that you have committed. You, you, you can't do that on your own. And so it says, you know, don't bother working your way, trying to work your way to heaven. You'll never be good enough to get to heaven. Don't expect that you'll stand before a holy God and say, well, God, I'm a pretty good guy. I know you want to let me into your heaven because he'll laugh at you. Okay? Um, and so that's what, you know, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. So you can't boast about yourself and get to heaven. That's not how you get there. But what caught me yesterday was verse 10. And, it, and I've never noticed this. All the years, I've read through Ephesians chapter 2 hundreds of times. And it's, I never noticed this. But it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, at first he says, you can't do enough good works, so don't bother. That's not how you get to God. He says the only way to get to God is through Jesus. Okay? You have to repent of your sins, and it is a gift from him to you. But then he says, you've been created in Christ Jesus, so you've been born again. We use that phrase, born again, and that comes from the Bible in John chapter 3. You must be born again, Jesus said. Okay, we've been born again. And, you know, you don't birth yourself. You ask Nalani. The baby did nothing to help whatsoever. The baby was just born, right? Isaac was just born. You were just born. And in the spirit, it's the same. You can't birth yourself in the spirit, so you can't earn your way to heaven. You are born. And so you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, though, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, what caught me about this was, it says, which God prepared for you, one, one translation says it that way, which God prepared for you beforehand so that you would walk in them. And what caught, me about, caught my attention about that was, you know, we sit here and we, you know, God has a whole, you, you, you know, you've heard, you guys, you all know this, the honey-do list, Right? God has his own honeydew list for you. Did you know that? He has created a list of good things for you to do. So just pay attention to him, and he'll guide your steps. You know, some things you're not, you don't have to do. He's got a list for you. I, that hit me yesterday. I was just like, whoa. It, God has a list of good works for you to do now that you believe in him, now that you're his child, now that you are born again. By the way, Hugh, I've got a list for you here, buddy. 
This is your honeydew list. Andrew, I got a list for you too, and it doesn't look anything like Hugh's. You just never know what his list is for you unless you stay plugged in with him. So anyhow, that was, it hit me yesterday, and I, that's free. The rest cost you. Um, but uh, I just, that ministered to me yesterday, and I thought, well, that might minister to you too. Just remember, the good works is on this side of salvation, not on this side of salvation. You have life, death, salvation, good works, right? So bless you guys. So what is a Christian? Next two Sundays, we're going to be talking about this. Just what is a Christian? And I know you think you know, but I've got some uh, interesting uh, insights that I hope will be a blessing to you. Years ago, there was a Christian singer. In fact, this is the singer that, uh, that really influenced me to give my life to the Japanese people. And um, he, uh, Keith Green was his name. And he was really popular, and then in his prime, he was killed in a, in a plane accident, a small plane. Um, but I'll never forget, he used to say that some people think that going to church makes them a Christian. And some, some of you I know have heard me say this. But going to church doesn't, you make, doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Praying doesn't even make you a Christian. People of all religions pray. I often say prayer is like a, is like a, a, a um, not an umbrella. Prayer, prayer, is, prayer is like a, oh, I'm having a brain cramp. Um, what do you jump out of a parachute? Prayer is like a parachute. You're glad it's there, but you hope you never have to use it. You know? <laughs> and so um, praying doesn't make you a Christian. Even praying to God doesn't make you a Christian. Luke chapter, uh, go ahead and uh, Luke, yeah, there we go. Luke chapter 13, verse 25 tells us that many will say, Lord, Lord. They're calling out on God, on his, on his name. But I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So don't think that just because you cry out to God, that makes you a Christian. You ever heard of foxhole salvation? You know, it's... It, uh, People wind up in the foxhole, the war's going on all around them, they're scared to death, and they say, oh, God, help me. <laughs> that, sorry, that's probably not quite the prayer you need uh, to, be a, to be a Christian. But we do, we tend to cry out for help when we're in trouble, right? And then, uh, next slide, Matthew chapter 7, the same, chap, uh, um, same uh, story, basically, 22 and 23 says that there will be even be people who prophesy in his name who actually are doing religious stuff in his name, stuff that we would stand here and say, wow, that's great. Oh, that's the word of God. Oh, that's God moving. And God can use those people, just like he used the donkey, by the way, in the Old Testament. And keep in mind, the donkey wasn't a Christian. Uh, <laughs> but it says, "Get away!" Um, Jesus will say on that day, get away from me, I don't know you. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Does that blow your idea of what a Christian is out of the water just a little bit, maybe? See, this is why you and I can't judge a person's soul. Because we don't know what's in their soul. This is why someone who doesn't look like a Christian may very well be a Christian, and so some who may look like a Christian aren't. 
Only God can judge those things. And so we just love people. That's our requirement. So, what is a Christian? First of all, let's take a look at what is not a Christian. And that might help us narrow it down. Stop playing with the baby, Eva. We, we should make babies sit on the back row because everybody wants to play with the babies. You know, I do too. And, and Josette's uh, daughter and grandkids were here <laughs> a few months ago, and I was just sitting there just making faces to the kids and everything. <laughs> Poor Pastor Eric, he was probably wondering what this preacher sitting back there, fifth row back, is doing. And, but uh, So first of all, we're going to take a look at what is not a Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and 9 through, yeah, 9 and 10, um, first of all, uh, it, says, it says this, do, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, well, he didn't say female prostitutes, but anyhow, no male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor cheaters will inherit the kingdom of God. That's just a short list, guys. That's not the longest list in the Bible about things you shouldn't be and shouldn't do. But it says if you are living that lifestyle, you, you probably aren't a Christian. It doesn't mean that you, if you struggle with those things, did you know that you can have a homosexual desires and be totally saved? Just like you can have regular sexual desires and be saved, you just don't act on them. So please understand, the fact that you're tempted in a way, and you might on occasion make a mistake, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying if you're living a lifestyle of this, then you clearly aren't saved. Secondly, anyone who hasn't repented from their sins and does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who was crucified on the cross for our sins on the third day, was raised from the dead. Those are the requirements for salvation. If you haven't done that, you're not. Okay? So that's simple. So let's take a look at what is a Christian. And that's in Acts chapter 11. This is our, our main scripture for today. What is a Christian? Acts chapter 11, 19 through 26. And I've got this divided up into two different slides. And I, uh, I uh, want to read through these with you. So let's start with verse 19. Now those who, were, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Uh, let me explain that real quick, verse 19. The early church was a Jewish church. It was Christian, but it was Jewish Christians. They didn't even preach to non-Jews because that was their community. Okay, so verse 20. But there were some of, the, some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to Hellenists, that's the Greeks, that's, that was the main group of, of people in those days, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, in other words, he saw people living like Christians. He saw that God had applied the salvation grace to these non-Jews. He said, whoa, this is cool. I like this. Um, and and, and blah, blah, blah. he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he, meaning Barnabas, Barnabas was a good man, 
full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So what is a Christian? Well, it wouldn't hurt to go back to the very first place where they were called Christians. So who was it that called them Christians? First of all, it wasn't the Jews. The Jews didn't call the Christian group Christians. Um, because the word Christ in, in, to the Jews meant Messiah. And the Jewish religious leaders did not acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. So they would not call him Christ, the Christ, and they would not call them Christians because that would be admitting that Jesus is the Messiah. So they didn't label them as Christians. They, the Christians themselves didn't call themselves Christians. Like nowadays, we, we say, well, what, what do you believe? Well, I'm a Christian. That's normal, right? Even some people who aren't a Christian call themselves Christians because even today in America, although it's growing in disfavor, it's still fairly popular to be a Christian. Um, so they called themselves brother and sister, right? They, like we do, you know, Brother Bob. You know, he calls me Brother Dennis. He asked me what to call me, pastor, reverend, brother. I said, the best thing you could call me is brother. So, you know, it's like that's, that's the closeness. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I, I love that. I love being called Brother Dennis. And uh, so they called themselves brother and sister. It was the people in Antioch that first called them Christians. Now, the Antiochians didn't know anything about Christianity initially. They only knew what they saw in the lives of the Christians who came to Antioch from Jerusalem. Okay? So in verses 19 and 20, we read that the Christians were persecuted in Jerusalem, and that's what caused them to flee. They were being picked on because of their Christian faith by the other Jews, by their community. And so they were literally not just being picked on, being labeled. They, they could be beaten. You saw what, what it said at the beginning was, after they killed Stephen... They stoned Stephen because he dared to not back down when they confronted him. In fact, he got back in their face and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, and, and they hated that so much that they killed him. Well, there was that hatred and that fervor of anger towards this Christian sect. The Jews of that day were very, um, just, I mean, venomously religious. Okay? And, and, and the Old Testament taught that they had to do that. They had to be very strongly careful not to allow false doctrines to creep into their faith. And that's the way they were now. Even though Jesus was the Son of God, they didn't recognize him in that. And so they were protecting their religion by killing whoever they needed to kill. Right? You'd think it was politics. And in a, in a way it was. But it, it was just religion. And they couldn't stand these Christians. And so they began to persecute them. And these people who came to Antioch and some of these other cities, but specifically to Antioch, they began to share Christ with people. And the Bible says that many came to believe, right? That's pretty cool. And you know, think about this. You don't have to answer this. I'm not looking for a raising of hands, but have you ever witnessed to somebody and they actually um, gave their heart to the Lord? It's one of the most exhilarating things you could ever do in your life. It's just, uh, I, to be honest, 
I've ministered among the Japanese all my life. Not a lot of people getting saved among the Japanese. So I haven't had this experience very often. I never forget one time I had a man come to my church, and I was just a new, a new pastor. I'd, I could preach in Japanese, but it was hard sometimes I, reading the Japanese Bible. I, I had a hard time finding the scriptures in Japanese. And so I would have to, I would have to go through this process when I wanted to witness to somebody. And because the Lord would speak a scripture to my mind, and I couldn't remember the scripture, where, it was, you know, where it's located. And so I'd have to look in the English Bible, find the location, read it to make sure it's the one I'm thinking of. And then I'd, okay, that's where it is, and I'd dig out the Japanese Bible and, and find the exact same scripture, and then I'd turn it over and let them read the, the scripture, because I had a hard time reading in Japanese in those days. Still do, but it was worse then. And, and so then they would read the scripture, and we would have this conversation. It could take you all day just to get the, the road to salvation communicated. But this day, this man showed up at the church, and he, <clears throat> he said, I'd like to, uh, Bob, would you bring me my blue cup sitting right there of water? Thank you. I forgot to bring that up. I said to myself before I came up this morning, I said, I, don't forget to bring your blue cup. And of course, I forgot to bring my blue cup. So... So this man came in, and he, he said, I'd like to ask you some questions. And I was like, wow, somebody who wants to ask questions about Jesus. That's awesome. And so we had this, this conversation going on for about an hour, two, hour and a half, two hours. And he was so open and just receiving. And, and, and you know what? It just hit me. Scripture after scripture after scripture. And I didn't have to use the English Bible. It just hit me. It was flowing so smoothly. I was starting to get jazzed. I was jacked up, man. I was excited. And, and I just, you know, he would ask me something. I would say, well, the Bible says, and I'd show him and let him read the scripture. And, and it was just one after another, after another, after another. I was so excited. I finally stopped at the, you know, at the end, and I asked him, I said, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is number one. I've never led anybody to the Lord yet in Japanese. No, 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 no. Oh, I was just, I was crushed. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be tough sometimes when you're sharing the love of Christ and then they reject it. But when they accept it, how exciting is that? Well, the Christians in Antioch, they were sharing the love of Christ with people. They were sharing that, you know, you, you, you know repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Savior. And you've got eternal life. And then you live for him the rest of your life. And it's glorious. And, and, and it was powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, says, And that is what some of you were. And if you remember, we just read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10 a minute ago. Um, I don't know whose hand on the slides. The next slide. Um, there we go. Who is it so I can look at you? When, oh, okay, Coulter, good. Um, so it says, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, says, all these things, you know, the offenders, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanders, homosexual, all that stuff. He says, that's what you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All these things that you identified as before, you might have even been proud of it before. But you're not that anymore. You've now been saved by the blood of Jesus, and you can live your life for him in a way that is prosperous and not dependent on drugs or liquor or sex or any of those things that kept you bound. 
This, this is freedom for you. And what a beautiful story. So the, now, the, if these Christians, the easiest thing for them to do when they left Jerusalem would to learn from their mistakes, would be to learn from their mistakes and just keep their mouth shut when they moved to Antioch. They fled the persecution. They saved their lives. And by the way, there are times to run away from a confrontation. And they did. They reckoned that it was better to live another day than to live in Jerusalem, where they were being killed. They were being arrested. They were being put in prison. And they chose to leave Jerusalem and went to Antioch. The easiest thing would be to go to Antioch and keep your mouth shut so you don't have the same problem. I mean, they still were among a large community of, of Jews who were still very strong in their belief and their protection of their religion. But they just started sharing with people. Um, perhaps if they had adapted their theology to accommodate the community around them, they would have avoided persecution. I, uh, I read the news all the time, and I find it interesting to listen to what news media thinks Christians ought to believe. You ever heard that? You know, if, if Christians would just be a little nicer, if they would just not be so exclusive, Jesus, the only way? Oh, come on. Jesus was good, but there are other good ways too. And that's kind of the thinking of our world today. And I, 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 I see that all the time in the news. And politicians, they like to quote parts of the Bible that they like. Even pastors do this, you know. We have certain passages that we like, and, and we don't want to make waves sometimes. And, and I was reading about a new church in New York where the pastor seemed afraid to talk about certain issues because he didn't want to offend anyone. He has a big church, but it's not a place where the gospel is preached because he doesn't want to offend anyone. I hate to tell you this, but the gospel is both good news and offensive good news to some. And if you're afraid of offending people, you, you will keep your mouth shut because you're just never sure who you're going to offend. And that's the way this pastor was. Now, this is uh, several years later now, and that pastor is no longer a pastor because he was going home to the wrong bed, it turns out. No wonder he didn't want to speak about sin or anything like that because he was committing too much of it himself. I'm not saying that every pastor who doesn't want to preach the word strong is committing sin. I'm just saying that it's a tendency for us to not want to hurt people or bother people or offend people. I'm like that. I hate it when I've hurt somebody. I don't like to say things that I know people aren't going to like to hear. And so I understand that. So what happens now is the disciples in Jerusalem, the leaders of the Christian church, they're like, they're like the bosses in, in Sacramento, right? The Assemblies of God leaders. You know, these are the early church leaders. They heard about there being Christians in Antioch, and they looked around and said, Bob, did you go to Antioch? Uh, Lionel, did you go to Antioch? Jerry, who went to Antioch? We didn't send you. And, you know, it's amazing to think that God could actually do his work without getting the approval of the church aforehand. But he did. And they were like, but the nice thing was they weren't, they weren't offended by that. They actually were pleased by that. And they said, well, hey, we've got to check this out. And you know what? It's wise for the church to check it out, the leadership to check it out, because you don't know what's being taught. And you want to make sure that they're getting the real gospel, because there are a lot of people out there teaching weird stuff. And so they sent Barnabas who wasn't one of the apostles, but he was like one of the, one of the, un, you know, the guys that were just under the apostles. And uh, they sent him, 
And he saw the grace of the Lord, and I thought I was stepping on something, on one of Jerry's pins. And uh, I don't know if it was your pen, Jerry, but I love to tease you. Um, and so in verse 26, anyhow, Barnabas goes and he sees these guys are real, genuine Christians. They are, they're the real deal. And he is so excited about what he sees, and he, and he just says, good for you. And then in verse 26, it says they're first called Christians at Antioch. And they were first called Christians at Antioch. Keep in mind that it wasn't a name of deep respect. Okay, in, a, in America, traditionally, if you're a Christian, that's a good thing. That was not a good thing to the Antiochians. If you were a Christian, it was, they were making fun of them. They were saying, these people are little Christs. Right? Oh, you're just like your master. You know, you can't do all these fun things with us because you're just one of those Christ-like people. Right? They were making fun of them. They hated them because they were preaching new morals in Antioch. They were opposing the general structure of the city and what the beliefs were of that community. It was anti-cultural. Okay? I hate to tell you this, but some cultural things are not good. Generally, as missionaries, we say culture is neutral. It just is. It just exists. American culture, Japanese culture, Chinese culture, it's just the way you're raised. It's neither good nor bad. It's not you know, evil or righteous. It's, it's just culture. But some culture, a culture that tells you it's okay to kill little kids, that's bad. A culture that says it's okay to, to, you know, to do things that the Bible very clearly states are wrong, that's bad. And they were giving anti-cultural messages that the Antiochians didn't like. They were hurting the Antiochians' lifestyle. Every once in a while I hear people suggest that if we were just more like Jesus, we wouldn't be hated by the world. Think about that for a second. If you were just more like Jesus, you wouldn't be hated by the world. We wouldn't be accused of being intolerant. And yet at the beginning of the Christian church, it was evident that if we follow Jesus, we would be hated. In fact, Jesus promised us that the world would hate us because they hated him. That's what people forget. We respect and love Jesus Christ, and even those who aren't Christians. Hey, in Japan, now this was years ago, so I don't know what it would be like now, but 30 years ago, I guess it's 40 years ago now, they, they actually did a survey and they asked who was the most respected man in history, and in Japan, the most respected man in history was Jesus Christ. In Japan, right? We had a, a, I remember the missionary I trained under, he was talking to a Japanese teacher, and he said, you know, if, if you guys weren't so exclusive, then your churches would be full, because we all respect Jesus Christ. And so people love Jesus Christ, but what they don't realize is he said some pretty rough stuff when he was alive on this earth, and people hated him for it. That's why they crucified him, one of the reasons. So, now... Um, Antioch. Let me explain to you a little bit what the city of Antioch was like. To be honest, it reminds me a lot of California, perhaps even San Francisco. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So this was a major metropolitan area. Um, it, had it had a famous sports center, which um, 
where they had chariot races, like, just like in Rome, and uh, gladiator fights where the loser dies, right? I, how many of you ever watched the TV show? Boy, it's been years ago now. I'm really dating myself. The Gladiators or Gladiator or something like that where they had these, you know, buff guys and girls out there, you know, performing against each other and everything. Uh, I enjoyed that. It was kind of cool, you know. But the, the Gladiator fights were more serious in that day. You know, you lose, you die. And um, they were very proud of their culture and their intellectualism. Does that remind you of anything? Welcome to America, right? Everybody's got to have a degree. Um, you know, I, I've got a son that's the smartest guy I know. He's got almost a photographic memory, but he never graduated high school. Oh, he's a flunky. He would, he's totally disrespected in certain circles because he doesn't have a degree. Not only high, not, you know, doesn't have a high school degree, doesn't have a college degree, doesn't have a further, you know, bachelor uh, or a doctorate degree or PhD or, so, um, they were extremely high on an intellectualism. And then they were famous for the temple of Daphne, which is the goddess of sex. Tell me this doesn't sound like California. You know, I mean, sex is our world. Welcome to Hollywood, folks. You know, it's, it's, everything is about that. You, you know, you can sell anything online, on Facebook, on Twitter, as long as it has a pretty girl attached, because guys are stupid, right? Men are just full-blooded stupid. They see something soft and pretty, and they say, oh, whatever it is you got there, honey, I want it. You know? And, and it's not because they're lusting after the girl even. It's just this, this reaction we have, you know, and, and we're stupid. I'm telling you guys, you're all stupid. Uh, no offense, Mint. But that's what Antioch was like. And it wasn't just the guys in Antioch. It was the girls. You know, this, is, this was happening a lot in that day where there were male prostitutes. That's why in 1 Corinthians it addresses no male prostitutes. You can't live that life. Because there were women with the same drive and desire that men had. And so the temple of Daphne was, was the goddess of sex. And this was just free sex for everybody. Right? This was Antioch. But people were getting saved and then they'd stop going to the temple. And this hurt the business of the temple. And so the Antiochians hated Christians because with Jesus in their hearts, they were becoming holy. After accepting Christ, they turned away from immorality. They were literally what we call slaves of Christ. They were Christians. They refused to follow the teachings of Daphne. They refused to follow the teachings of the philosophers. <gasps> Gasp. The educated elite. They chose to follow the teachings of Christ, and it was changing the city of Antioch. It was impacting their neighborhoods. It was impacting the ruling class even. It wasn't just poor people getting saved. They were impacting the people that had money and could go to the temple of Daphne. And they didn't use their money there anymore. They didn't pay for their prostitutes. They stopped doing those things. When Jesus comes into your life, he changes your life. That doesn't mean you won't battle things. But he changes you from the inside out. So to be called Christian under those circumstances is a great thing. In America, sometimes we call ourselves Christians, and it almost has no meaning anymore. But in those circumstances, if you are a Christian, 
pat you on the back for that. Too often we think that, I don't know what I did with my phone, but just hit the stop button, it'll turn off my alarm. Thank you. I knew there was a reason I needed to have my phone with me. If I don't set my alarm, I I just ignore the clock back there, and actually the clock is one minute behind my phone, so I'm really grateful for that. Um, So let's just, I'm going to real quickly now go through, I should have done this part, the long part, and the other part, the short part, but um, what I believe are some of the points that made up the church in Antioch. First, they didn't have just a Sunday faith, okay? So the faith of the Antiochians didn't end when they walked out of the church. A true Christian is not just a Christian in church. Now, we look pretty when we come to church, but our lives have to look pretty on Monday through Saturday. Now, it's harder on Monday through Saturday because you run into a bunch of idiots in the world, and sometimes we are one. But you know what? Life is hard sometimes. It's it's not always easy to live your faith when someone is treating you bad. In church, we treat each other so nice. But I promise you, if we all lived with each other, we'd have problems between Monday and Saturday. And so their faith was not just a Sunday faith where they sit together and say, oh, Brother Bob, you're such a wonderful Christian. Oh, Andrew, I just love you so much. And and then you go home and and you say, oh, that Josette, she just really irks me. No, no, they, they shared their love from Monday through Saturday as well. Their faith was not just a weekend faith. They wanted to please Jesus. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they did good things. They wanted others to know this life-giving resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, um, of the power of Christ. And so at work or at church, they were followers of Jesus. They had the desire to to, to please the Lord, and that desire controlled their lives. That desire controlled their lives. I heard a story about a pastor who got on the uh, city bus, and he gave the bus driver, nowadays everything automatic, but this was way back in the dark ages, he gave the bus driver a dollar bill, and the bus driver gave him his change, and he walked back to his seat, and he looked at his change, and the bus driver had given him 25 cents too much. He thought, ah, it's just 25 cents. Then he thought, no, no, I I gotta do what's right. And so he walked back up to the bus driver, and he said, excuse me, you made a mistake. Um, gave me 25 cents too much change. And the bus driver looked at him and said, that was no mistake. He said, I heard you preaching on Sunday about honesty. And I was testing to see if you lived what you preached. The church in Antioch lived what they believed, what they said they believed. Secondly, they were more loyal to Christ than to their own homeland. Think about it. They were willing to literally move out of Judea, out of the the land where the Jews occupied, lived. That was their land. They were willing to leave their homeland and go to another country. The easiest thing for them to do when they were in Jerusalem and persecution began was just shut their mouths. All they had to do was stay quiet. But rather than silence their faith, they left. And so they go to Antioch. Um, I was once, uh, I, I once read a, um, a story about one of the early church fathers. Oh, I forgot his name now. 
But anyhow, one of the early church fathers, one of the er leaders of the early church. And um, this was after the apostles had, all, probably after they'd all passed away. Maybe John was still alive, I don't remember um, the timing exactly. But the, the believers had to work, most of them worked in this one factory or one, you know, area. And on the way in, they had to drop uh, incense at the local god's god shelf on the way into the factory. And the church leader was rebuking them and, uh, for putting incense at the feet of false gods, something that is strictly um, prohibited in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And, and they responded to him that they had to do so if they were going to work. And they said, we have to work. And he said, why? And they said, well, if we don't work, we can't eat, and we have to eat. And he says, why? And they said, well, if we don't eat, we'll die, and we have to live. And he said, why? He said, the only thing you have to do is be faithful to God. We get our priorities mixed up a little bit sometimes. Our faithfulness to the one who gave his life for us, may take our life someday, but it's worth it. And these Christians in Antioch, they said, you know what, whatever it takes, I'm not going to stop serving the Lord. And then, thirdly, lastly, they did not allow sin to dominate their lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 Read this again. Do I, do I have it up there? I don't remember. Yeah. So, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were you, some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, of our God. They refused to participate in the sin that was so accepted by those around them. Don't turn to your friends and family or the neighborhood or the community to decide what is right and what is wrong. They will get it wrong, and then you will be accountable for their mistakes. Because when you stand before God, you won't be able to say, well, you know, you know what, Hugh told me it was okay. Get Hugh. You know what? God isn't going to say, okay, you're free. Hugh, come here. <laughs> no, that's not the way God operates. He, said, he would say, I gave you my word. I told you what you should do. You can't look at somebody else and say, well, because they overruled me, you're okay. What he said has nothing to do with what I told you. That's the way God will look at it. Because he expects us to obey him and his word. They didn't accept the immorality of their generation as being okay. Watch out. Your generation will tell you some things are okay. Don't believe that. Look to the Word of God for your d description of what is right and what is wrong. And then they would deal with their sins. And this is the hard part because, you know what? I'm standing up here before you as a sinner if you knew all the things that I have said or done or thought, you wouldn't let me preach to you because I'm not a pure man. 
But we need to treat sin like a cancer. And I've always believed this. And while I have sinned many times, I hate sin. I hate what it does to me. I hate what it does within me. I hate, and I, I think most of you understand this. It's not that you don't sin, but we have this hatred for it because it's, it's like a cancer. And we have to treat sin just like a cancer. We look at it and we say, oh, well, you know, my, my sister had leukemia. She, my dad died of leukemia and my sister got leukemia um, years ago. And it would be like her saying, you know, going to the doctor and the doctor says, you got leukemia. We got to treat this and we got to get aggressive if you're going to survive this. And they did. And she almost died. The treatment for leukemia almost kills you. And, but that's your only chance. If you're going to survive, you've got to deal with the treatment, the harsh treatment, hard, hard, harsh treatment. And that's the way most cancer treatment, you know, it's not going to be easy for Billy. It's going to be a hard road because it's not like taking cold medicine. I, was, I thought about this. I thought, what if my sister goes to the doctor and said, you know what? Last month, I had this terrible cold, and I found this medication that relieves all the symptoms, and I feel better almost immediately. I've heard about this chemo stuff, and I don't want it. I'm just going to take my cold medicine. If she'd have said that, she'd be dead today. You have to take the right medicine for the disease that you're treating. And so when we have cancer, we treat it like, when you have sin, we treat it like cancer. Get rid of it. It'll kill you. Do what you have to, but get rid of it. And you know what? We're sinners, so we're going to fight this all of our lives. Every time you fight it, do what you got to do to get rid of it. Treat it like a cancer. Of course we struggle with sin. Of course we have temptations. We fail. We sin. The scripture that we read does not talk, it does not mean that if you fail, you've blown it. And that if you fail in the same area multiple times, and that you may actually struggle with anger or with lust or, or with other desires, food or whatever, you, you may struggle with that all of your life. And along the way, you fail many times. And that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about those that said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I like my homosexual lifestyle. I'm going to stick with it. Oh, you know what? I like being a drunk. That's good for me. It, it's not those that are genuinely saved and saying, I don't want this, and then they struggle with it. It's talking about those who are claim to be saved, but don't care. They want their lifestyle. And so these Christians didn't have that. And so... The church in Antioch wanted to do four things. Know God, walk with God, live like Jesus, and live under the lordship of Jesus. We like the idea of knowing God and walking with God and living like Jesus. We'd all love to do that. But to do all that, you've got to do the fourth one. Live under the lordship of Jesus. He is the boss. When he says do it, you do it. He said, I always say it like, if he says jump, you say how high on the way up, right? Yeah. He, live under his lordship. Commit yourself to the word of God because that's what's going to tell you what's right and what's wrong. When you have a bad attitude and he says repent, you repent and you change your attitude or you try, you know, through the grace of God, you change your attitude. You're struggling with a sin when I was, I, I was just, I, I was just talking to somebody. I, I had this terrible temper when I was 17. It was explosive. Not the kind that you warm up to. 
After I got married, I found that kind of temper. You know, you just argue back and forth long enough that you're both mad. Uh, not that. I'm talking boom, just angry. And uh, I hated that. I hated that like I've rarely hated anything in my life. And I begged God. And finally, one night, I'll never forget at church, down around the altars. In, in those days, we used to have altars that sat between the, the, the steps and the, and the front pews. And I was down around on those altars just crying out to God to deliver me from that terrible, terrible, vicious temper. I, I used to explode at my mom. And I stopped that one day only because she got married. I was 16 and she got remarried. And I exploded at my mom when I was 17. I told her I hated her. I told her she was the worst mom in the world. Things that I'm ashamed to admit I said today. And um, she left crying. My mom was only five foot tall, 4'11", I find out. And um, she couldn't do anything to me I didn't let her do. And uh, she left the room crying. She went back into her room, which she now shared with a husband that I didn't care for all that much, to be honest. Uh, and uh, I can tell from what happened that she, it took him a long time to get out of her why she was crying. But when he found out, he did not use the doorknob to my room. And he stuck his finger in my chest and he said, you ever speak to my wife like that again and I will kick you out of this house physically and you will never come home again. I never talked to her like that again. <laughs> never once. That helped. But I, I used to say terrible things. I had this terrible temper. I would just explode. That night around the altars, God healed me of my temper. Just instantaneously. I never, I have to this day not had a temper like that. And uh, God is able to deliver. Sometimes he does things progressively, slowly. Sometimes he makes you really work at it. For me, I'd been working at it, but it wasn't, it wasn't working. And he delivered me. He knew I was too weak to be able to do this on my own. And he delivered me. So... Live under the lordship of Jesus. I once heard a story about Alexander the Great, and uh, we will be done in two minutes. I once heard a story about Alexander the Great. He, he conquered every country in the known world while he was still just a young, young man. Incredible conquering. In fact, I, I think there's... No, it's Napoleon. There's a movie out about Napoleon. But Alexander the Great was one of the greatest world leaders ever known in our human history. Well, evidently in his army, there was a young man who was afraid to fight. And uh, he came up to the young coward and he asked him, what is your name? And the young man replied that his name was Alexander. So Alexander the Great told the young man, Either be a brave soldier or change your name. It was a disgrace to the name Alexander for him to be a coward. Be a Christian. Honor the name of the Lord with your life. Not just in church. Monday through Saturday. You blow it, that's okay. It really is okay. God's not sitting there holding the, you know, just waiting for you to blow it so he can go, smash, gotcha. No, he's standing there with tears in his eyes saying, okay, come on back. Come on back. Let's do this again.
That's the God we serve. The people around you may be harsh, but God is not. God is loving, but he does expect you, since your name is his name, you are a Christian, Christian, be a brave soldier for Christ. If we want to call ourselves Christian, then we must follow Christ with our whole hearts, and then we'll bring him honor, even in the midst of an immoral society. Amen? We sang this morning, Jerry, um, she's down, I think, getting lunch ready for everybody, but uh, we sang the song that just happens to be my favorite song in the whole world. All to Jesus, I surrender. It's my favorite song. My dad's favorite song was Redeemed. My mom's favorite song is Great is Thy Faithfulness. My favorite song is I Surrender All. Stand with me this morning. We're going to close in prayer. But I hope that your heart will be with mine. And we won't sing this song because Jerry would have to be here to, to lead us in it. And I can't lead with, it's too high for my voice. But, but I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. As we go to the Lord, you can't work hard enough. We talked about this last week. You can't work hard enough to, to make yourself into a good Christian. But you stay close to Jesus and he'll come out of your pores. He'll just come out of you. And then at the times when you're about to do the good works that he has planned for you, you'll be able to do it. You can't stop yourself from sinning. But you plug closer into Jesus, and he'll stop you. He'll at least give you a way out. He'll help you to say, okay, I, no, I better stop doing this because I know what happens next. Or, you know what, I better take a walk so I don't explode. Uh, or if I do explode, nobody's around to hear me do all the damage. <laughs> Whatever it is that God has you to do, he'll work with you and he'll, he'll lead you. But you have to stay plugged in with him. Surrender everything that you are. Surrender all your future hopes, your desires. Surrender all of your sinful nature. Surrender everything that you are to him this morning. Lord, we are so grateful because we are called by your name. Christian, Christ followers. And some people will mock us for that. The world around us won't understand that. Their way of thinking is so different than your way of thinking. Even our way of thinking sometimes counters what you believe, what you say, what you think. But Lord, today as a group, we simply surrender ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you. We want to be the kind of Christians that people around will stand up and take notice and say, there's something different about you. What is it? And then we can give voice to our faith. It's Jesus. It's what he's done in my life. It's not me. It's him. And then we can give witness to the love that we have for our Savior and our Lord. You are our Lord, and we choose to follow you. We choose to obey you. Because as your word says, that if we love you, we will obey you. And we do love you this morning, Lord. Give us your strength, your wisdom, your power. And then, Lord, I pray for the food that we're about to partake downstairs. And I just thank you for the fellowship that we have. I pray that you'll bless our time together, the conversations around the tables. And uh, don't let us get too fat eating all that good food. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Brother Bob, are we good? All right. Well, thank you guys. Head downstairs, and I'll meet you down there, and we'll, we'll pig out together.